Before we dive into this text, I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 3. I want to talk to you about a love letter to the church from Jesus. A love letter to the church from Jesus. And it's about passion. And while you're turning there, I want to say God bless you to John Iverson. It's good to see you, John. I know Tanya is home, right? Amen. That's another miracle, church. They took her to the hospital, said she'd probably be there three weeks. She was in intensive care for a short period of time, and now she's home. So praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. A love letter to the church. How many like to get love letters? I do. Melinda, that's a hint, wherever you are. I think everybody likes to get a letter that's encouraging, that where someone says it may not be romantic love, but they show they care about you, that they love you. And Jesus, in this passage, he is giving love letters to the church. And we need to understand that, because in this same passage, in chapter 3 of Revelation, verse 14, Jesus speaks some of the harshest words that you will find him speaking in the New Testament. And yet he says, this is a love letter to you. And there's a powerful truth there that if you love somebody, you care about them, then you're going to be able to speak into their lives like a father who disciplines his children. That's the problem we have in many homes today is because we love our kids, but we fail to discipline them. And God disciplines us when, we, when, we're, when we're veering off track. Amen? And we need to have the right attitude. And again, I'm addressing this today because I don't want us to become that church, not that we are that church. Amen? Amen. So turn to somebody in today and tell them, I'm passionate for Jesus. Let's look at verse 14 in Revelation chapter 3. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write these things, says the Amen. The faithful and true witness the beginning of the creation of God. Now, this is just a side note. We're not talking about this. But where it says the beginning of the creation of God, it doesn't mean Jesus is saying that God created me, that I'm the beginning of the creation of God. He's saying that all of creation was created through Him. It had His beginning through Him. Verse 15, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were, you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel to you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, did you hear that? As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous. Everybody say, be zealous. That's passion. That's passionate for God. 
So we have a direct command right there from Jesus not to be the frozen chosen. Be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who, who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sit down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. The church is about two generations old at this time. And Jesus is saying, you need to, to watch where you're headed. There's some things that need correcting. And again, how many of us like correction? That's what I thought. Mike back there said he likes correction. We don't like correction. Harry likes correction. Are you sure? None of us really enjoy correction. But how many realize that if someone loves us, if Jesus loves us, he's going to correct us? Amen? So we need to be prepared for that. We need to say okay to that and allow the Lord to have his way in our hearts and in our lives. It's interesting in these letters that Jesus addresses the good and the bad. When, when you correct somebody, you just don't come and say, Pastor Harry, you need to fix this right now. You need to change, right? It would get old really quick if that's all I ever came to Harry and said. But it, if there's other times that I come and I say, man, that was great. You did a great job. You did an awesome job. When, when we address it that way and we, we compare the good, and then the, when we need correction, we give the correction, it's easier for us to take, right? And we see that in a good shepherd, and we see that in Jesus. And he, he's addressing that here. And, and he talks to the, the church in Smyrna. Smyrna was a, a, a poor church. They were suffering persecution. And Jesus says, even though you're in that state and you're suffering the persecution, he says good things about them. He commends them. They were struggling with persecution, and yet they were triumphant. They were triumphal. They were going forward. They were continuing even though they were struggling with persecution. The church at Philadelphia, another church, Jesus commends them. They were a church of love, right? They were a church that showed and demonstrated the love for God and the love for one another. So Jesus addresses both. Now look at verse 19 again. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. This is a love letter to the church. And we need to receive it that way. Now, the church at Laodicea made some big mistakes. And we, we need to take hold of that and see what we can learn from it. Not that we're there. Again, I'm not saying that we're a Laodicean church. Everybody turn to somebody saying. Pastor said we're not the Laodicean church. But I want us to be mindful that in the last days, this complacency can, can creep in. That we can become lethargic and, and lukewarm and that we can lose that zeal and that passion for God and we can't afford to do that. 
In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, God's Word says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. Walk in love. Then Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The Laodicean church had failed in both of these. And church, that is, that is so true of any church that if we, if we lose our love for God, we're going to lose the love for our neighbor. We have to have this relationship right with the Lord before we're truly going to love those around us. And God calls us to be passionate in both areas. Passionate towards Him and passionate towards our neighbor. Passionate towards those that need Jesus. And if there's one prayer that's on my heart, that is that the Lord would make us a church that loves to win people to Him. Amen? I want to see people come to Jesus. There's so many people out there that are hurting, that are struggling, and they need to encounter Him. Now notice the Laodicean attitude. Their attitude was wrong. Look at verse 17. I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. What's that? That's arrogance. I can't even imagine a Christian walking with God saying that. That just doesn't sound like a Christian to me. But God, they're saying, I'm wealthy. I've got it all together. I have everything I need, and I don't need anything from you. Church, that is such a dangerous place for us as individuals to be. Amen? I don't ever want to go there. I don't ever want to feel like, well, I've got everything under control. And what happens a lot of times when we, when we are blessed, and God loves to bless us. He's a God of blessing. He's a God of abundance. When we, if we are wealthy, we can be wealthy in various things, but we, if we are wealthy, we trust in the wealth instead of trusting in Him. And that's where they went wrong. In church, compared to the rest of the world, every one of us is wealthy. Not too long ago, I was, I was looking and saw an article that talked about the average person in the world only made like $2 a day. I know Randy and Lana took a trip to Africa just a couple of years ago and went into some villages and there were people there that lived on virtually nothing. Church, we are blessed. But let me tell you, it doesn't matter if you have a million dollars in the bank or your bank account's zero, your wealth comes from Jesus. Amen? It comes from Him. It's in His presence. And notice the Lord says, I know your works. He, he knew their attitude. He knew what was going on. He knew what they were doing right, and He knew what they were doing wrong. And so He wanted to correct them gently. And He has to get a little harsh with them in his, with His words. But it was worth it. Look at verse 19. As many as I love. Don't forget that. As many as I love. We see that over, over in these, these passages that God loves the church. He's got a plan for the church. But he says, I'm going to rebuke and I'm also going to chasten. 
We see that in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, for it says, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 12, For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. So that's not something that we see just in the book of Revelation here in this love letter. We see it through the love letter of God's word in its entirety. So church, we need to be ready to be corrected. Today our churches are filled with pastors that just want to tickle your ears. If you've been here very long, you know that I don't tickle ears. Usually every week somebody will get up and walk out. It's not because I'm praying for that, I'll tell you. But I'm going to preach what the Lord lays on my heart. And there are times that individually something will just penetrate the heart of an individual. It will challenge them. And they'll either say, oh yes, Lord, I repent of that, Lord, I want to get right, Lord, I want to go forward for you. Or they'll get offended and they'll get up and walk out. I want to ensure you that I pray diligently all during the week I usually pray at least five solid hours during the week just about the message just about what I'm going to preach just about what I want the Lord to speak and I, I always say this Lord don't let me say anything stupid I do I pray that way why because I know I'm human and I know I can say some dumb things But that's not my heart. I don't want to offend. I don't want to hurt. But church, we need to be careful because God's word says in these last days we're going to be offended. People are going to be offended. Don't let offense take hold in your life and remember that God, we have to be sensitive and allow him to minister and direct us and guide us. In verse 14, it says, these things says the amen. I love that. What is, what is Jesus saying there? He's saying, I'm the amen. He's saying, I am the last word. Amen. He has the last word, and it's truth. When, when, we, when we pray, what do we, how do we end our prayer? In Jesus' name, amen. What are we saying? I agree. This is truth. Right? And Jesus saying that he, he's saying, I am the truth and I am the last word. It doesn't matter what else you hear in the world. This is the truth. Jesus has the last word. In verse 15, he says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Ooh, that's smart. Amen? Jesus saying, your lukewarmness makes me want to puke. That's the Pastor Milt translation. It's true. What's interesting in, Laodicea had two water sources. One was south of town, and it was hot springs that would come bubbling up. The other was through an aqueduct. About six miles that the Romans built, and it was a Hierapolis, and it was the, the and it was cool, icy streams. But when they got to the community, guess what? They were lukewarm. They weren't hot, and they weren't cold. Now I don't know very many people that love to drink lukewarm anything. 
In fact, the, the only people that I do know that love lukewarm are musicians. And we all know they're a little off. Just kidding. Mitch, Patrick, Will. Why? They were taught not to drink cold liquids because it affects your vocal cords. So if they sing, they don't want to affect their vocal cords, so they drink lukewarm water. Not me. I like ice. Ice water. Or hot coffee. You know, we, we like one or the other. But Jesus is making a point here, and it hit home with them because they knew what it tasted like. It, was, it wasn't palatable because the minerals in the water, if it was lukewarm, it was just nasty. In verse 17, he says, Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Ouch! He's saying, you think you're rich, and you're wealthy, and you don't have need of anything. But the truth is, and I know your works, I know your life, I know where you are. He says, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. In other words, they had deceived themselves because of the blessing of God in their life, because of the wealth. And, and we need to make note that just because God blesses someone with material wealth does not mean that they're not godly. That's not the point Jesus is making here. And that's kind of been a misnomer in the church. Well, if you're going to be a really holy person, you're going to take a vow of poverty. And you're going to give everything away. And you're going to live in sackcloth and ashes and hum during the day in a, mon in in a convent somewhere. No, that's not true. It's not about whether you're in abundance. Paul said, there's times I've had a lot and there's times I had not had anything. That's part of life. Most of us have been there, right? There's times when we've had an abundance of blessings from God and things are going good and there's times that we go through difficult situations. But you know what happens when we're in a difficult situation? Guess what? A Christian normally gets really spiritual. I mean, when you look at the bank account and there it says double lot, and you know you have three or four more bills to pay, guess what? It usually makes us spiritual. Right? We get out on our knees and we start crying out to God, help me, Lord, help me. And guess what? God helps us. He cares about us. Amen? But it's not about whether we're wealthy or whether we're poor, it's about not allowing the possessions to control us. There was a wall that was erected in the life of the Laodicean church because of the abundance of blessing. It was a wealthy community. There was a lot of uh, business and transaction in that community. They had a, a special eye salve, and they had a, a gorgeous black wool that, was, that they traded all traders would come from all over the world into this community. So there were, there were business deals going on, and there was a lot of affluence. And church, I want to tell you, affluence doesn't make you good, and it doesn't make you bad. Are you with me? Being poor doesn't make you good or doesn't make you bad. It's not God's stamp of approval. Well, if you're rich, 
God must say, you're doing great. So we need to get that out of our mind because that's not what Jesus is addressing. But if there's anything that causes a wall to be built between us and the Lord where where we think we don't need Him, we've kind of got things going on pretty good. Then we need to deal with that. Are you with me? David just talked a moment ago about God's blessing in our life, and he wants to bless us so that we can be a blessing to others. And that should be our heart. I want God to bless me because when he blesses me, I can bless others. Amen? So we need to understand what what he's talking about here. It's how to handle our possessions and how to not let them possess us. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 9, remember Smyrna? He said, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. He's saying just the opposite. Physically, materially, they were poor. And they were struggling through tribulation. But Jesus said, you are the true rich. Amen? And you may not have a lot of things in this life, but I tell you right now, you can have the richest of things, which is Jesus and that relationship with him. Nothing compares to that. Amen? Nothing compares to that relationship with him. Look at verse 17, how he counters their arrogance. He said, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. In church, again, he's speaking in love. Now just picture this. How would you respond, Pastor Harry? You're on the front row, so I'm picking on you today. If I came to you and said, brother, you're wretched, miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. How would, how would we respond to that? Well, I don't think so. That's that arrogance. But listen, he's speaking this in love and he's saying you're deceived. Church, don't let yourself be deceived. Look at verse 18. I counsel you, this is how Jesus answers it. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. There's three things there that Jesus tells them to do. I want us to see this. First of all, he says, you need to buy from me. And that can be a little confusing because we know that we can't buy our salvation. Right? We can't buy our healing. Effie didn't buy her healing. Tanya didn't buy her miracle touch of healing from the Lord. What we prayed, we asked God to intervene and move. So it's not that kind of a a transaction where we take money and we bring it and we say, Lord, I want to buy this or that. But I want you to think about it in this way. It is a transaction in that when we, we have something that is, has a value, we're trading it for something else of value. And that's what Jesus is telling us there. He's wanting us to trade something of value and trade it for what is truly valuable. Amen? 
for what's truly valuable. He wants us to understand that. So he tells us to buy of me. The second thing, he says, buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. What is he talking about there? Well, 1 Peter gives us a good indication. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. The genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes. Though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what is that that he's talking about? He's talking about our faith. He's talking about a genuine faith. A genuine faith that's when it's tested by fire, it comes through and it shows that it's unshakable, that it's, that it's real, that it's genuine, and it brings praise and glory to God. Amen? That's what he's saying. He's saying you need to have faith, not in your money, not in your wealth, not in the blessing, but you need to have faith in me. That when the trial comes, it produces a genuine character, character of God in your life. It's evident. That's the true riches. That's the gold refined in the fire. The history of the church has been a lot like the Laodicean church. We talked about their wealth and their affluence. There's, it's, it's with little doubt that we would say they probably looked very nice. They were wealthy. They dressed very nice. And sadly, the church throughout history has put a lot of focus on the outward appearance. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that our church should look, you know, tacky. I'm not saying that the church can't look nice. In fact, when, when, I, when I come to church, you know, I usually dress nicer than I do when I'm going someplace else. And there, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that makes you more holy. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to look nice. And I don't think that's what Jesus is addressing here. But the church in the past, I mean, when I grew up, boy, you wore your Sunday go-to-meeting clothes. I mean... The women would have some hats even, you know, on Easter. You know, they'd have a brand new dress. My mom, every Easter, she would take my, my, my sister and myself and we would go to get some Easter clothes. And you know what? I didn't mind. I enjoyed it. I had fun looking nice and dressing up. But the church needs to understand it's not about our outward appearance it's about the power of the living God through that relationship. That's what the world needs to see more than an outward appearance. And again, I don't think the church should be run down. I don't think that we have to live in, in, in a run-down shack. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying there's something that is the true riches of God. It's greater than an outward appearance where people meet us and say, Oh, you look nice. You've got a pretty dress or a nice suit. Amen? I don't want them just to see that. I want them to see and experience the power and the presence of the true and the living God in our lives. When they come to our church, yes, I hope it's, a, it's aesthetically pleasing. And with everybody's choice 
of style. That's hard to do. I know Gary, he, he wants it to look like an Alaskan lodge. Some of the ladies come in and they want it to look like a flower shop with flowers everywhere. And everybody's got their idea on the colors that they need. But church, I'm not concerned about that. What I'm concerned about is when people come into this house that they experience the power and the presence of Jesus that transforms their hearts and lives. That's what I'm concerned about. I want them to know that we welcome the presence of our Creator to come to minister His love and His life in this place. We come to worship Him and to welcome His presence. And He comes and transforms our hearts and our lives. And when we leave, we've been changed. That's what I want. That's what my prayer is. Then He he goes on. Jesus goes on and says, you need white garments. Again, I talked about they were known for this beautiful black wool that they had. Jesus is correcting them again. Say, no, you need white garments. What is he saying there? He's talking about the simplicity of purity. And I'm not saying that we write down a list of do's and don'ts. Some people think we ought to do that. Well, if you're going to be a member of this church, you're going to be here every time the doors are open. No exceptions. If you really love Jesus. There's others that say, well, if you really love Jesus, you're not going to do this or do that or do this or that. In church, the way I read it in Scripture, the Holy Spirit convicts us. And He'll do His job. And it's not about writing out a list of do's or don'ts. If you're a good Christian, you'll do this or you won't do that. That's not it. It's about saying, Jesus, I want to be clothed in the purity of God. That people simply know that that I'm a person that desires to live for you. I'm a person that just wants to live by your word. That when people see my life, they see that I love Jesus. And it's that simple. That I'm going to do my best to live for Him. It's not saying I'm perfect, but it's saying with all my heart I want to be perfect. I want to live for Jesus. And if I mess up, I'm sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And He, he, will, he will speak to me and He'll say, Milt, have you ever had the Holy Spirit do that to you? You know, He'll say, Milt, don't go that direction. And guess what? If I continue to take those steps towards that, it gets a little louder. Milk, don't go that direction. Take another step. Stop it! And it's like the Spirit of God is just yelling in your ear, you're headed down the wrong road, buddy. Amen? But the, the Spirit will do that. He'll guide us and direct us. But church, I want to be a white-robed person. Amen. When people see my life, they may not think I'm the the greatest pastor. They may not think I'm the greatest, most eloquent speaker. They may not think any nice things about me. But as long as they think he's sold out for Jesus, he's, he's a white garment person. He simply loves God with all of his heart. 
Amen. Next, Jesus says, and anoint your eyes with the eye salve that you may see. Church, today there's so many times that our spiritual vision is blurred. Our spiritual vision is, is affected. Anytime you come to a verse like this where it talks about a balm or a salve or an ointment, it's talking about the Holy Spirit. The oil of the Holy Spirit. And in the Old Testament, when a king was inaugurated, they would pour the, the anointing oil on top of the, the king's head and it would run down. It was symbolic that they were desiring and praying, asking for God's presence and God's power on his life that he can do what God's called him to do. Amen? In church, Jesus is saying we need to get the Holy Spirit and apply the Holy Spirit to our eyesight that we can see clearly. Why? I encounter people all the time. It breaks my heart as a pastor. People will get hurt. People will get wounded. People will get, uh, you know, something in their life that's just distorting their view. And so they're, they're going through life like this instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to give them focus on what He wants. God has a plan. He's got a purpose. He wants us to walk into something new. He wants to go forward to another victory, to another triumph, to another ministry and minister the love and the life of Jesus. And when we allow things to, to blind us, it hinders us. Church, I don't want to be a, a church where we are blinded spiritually. I want every one of you to know this is the vision that God's given me. I see where He wants me to go. I see with His heart, His love. Are you with me? I want to see with the eyes of God. See the way things the way He does. I don't want to allow hurt or offense or wounds and many times people will come to our church because they've been hurt in another church and if they don't heal and receive that healing then they see our church and our people through the same distorted vision and you become a church hopper that's what happens you hop from one church to another until you're offended again and you're offended again and you hop and you hop and you hop and I'm not saying there aren't reasons to leave a church. I'm saying, you know, if there's doctrinal issues or, something, or sin in the camp or something, there's reasons. But what I'm saying is, church, I don't ever want to allow offense or hurt or wounds to affect my spiritual vision, and none of us should. Amen? And I'm almost done. Jesus finishes again by saying, As many as I love, rebuke and chasten, therefore, be zealous and repent. In verse 20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Now that's a beautiful verse. And I want us to understand what Jesus is saying there. He just got through telling them to be passionate, to repent, repent, Simply, simply means to change the way of thinking, change your direction. 
go the other direction. Instead of going towards things that destruct us, bring destruction in our lives, going towards sin, going towards rebellion, we have a change of thinking. We begin to say, God, I want to think like you. I want to go towards you. I want to do what you call me to do. That's repentance. But then he says, I want, this is, this is so neat. He's not saying, hey, Pastor Milk, have your people call my people, we'll do lunch. Some people read it that way. Hey, Jesus wants to hang out with me and have lunch. No. This is so powerful. I want you to understand this. In many uh, Asian cultures, and some even to this day, I've been told, if they invite you into their home and want to have supper with you, there's only one relationship that is more intimate and close than that relationship, and it's the husband-wife relationship. If they invite you into their home, they're saying, I want to have a close, intimate relationship with you. And that's what Jesus is saying there. Jesus is saying, I'm knocking at the door. And it's, it's not just the door of our heart, and it's used that way many times. You hear pastors talking about that at invitations when, when they're inviting someone to, to accept Christ into their life. They say he's knocking, they'll quote this verse and say, Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. But church, really, in the context, he's knocking at the door of the church. And he's saying, church, I want to come in, and I want to have an intimate, close relationship with you. And that will transform your life and transform our church. Think about that. When we come together in this house, are we just going through the motions? Are we just having church because that's kind of the thing we do? Our family's always gone to church. Or I want to change my life, so I'm coming to church. Or do we come saying, Lord, I welcome your presence and your power and your glory in my life. Amen? I want people to come in and experience Jesus because every one of us, we're here. The door of our hearts are open. The door of our church is open. And we're saying, yes, Lord, we want an intimate relationship with you. You're our best friend, a friend closer than any brother. You're our Savior. You're our Lord. You're our Deliverer. Lord, you're everything. And we're not the Laodicean church. We're not saying we can do it on our own. We know we can do nothing without you. But Lord, we love you and we want you. Lord, fill this place. You know what? Next week I'm going to talk about what happens when a church has that heart and they say nothing's more important to us, Lord, than welcoming your presence. Because it won't be church as normal. When the power and the presence and the glory of God is welcomed and begins to move in a church, guess what? It turns the church upside down. It turns the city upside down. And the glory of God's manifested. Will you stand with me? I want the worship team to come.
as we close today, I'd like everyone in this place today to know that just as Jesus was saying there, I love you, I want you to know I love you. And I'm not saying and pointing a finger saying you're lukewarm today. I'm not saying our church is lukewarm. But I'm saying we're going to be a church on fire. A church that's zealous for the Lord. That we're going to guard from deception. Guard from offense. Guard from the other things in our life that would bring that wall where where we become arrogant and think we have made it on our own. Because we can't. Amen. I want you to bow your heads and we'll pray and then I'm going to ask the prayer team while we're praying to to come forward and to come around the back of the auditorium. And if you have a prayer need today, I want to just encourage you, church, that we want to pray with you. Jesus said, where any two agree is touching anything on earth, whatsoever they shall ask of the Father in heaven, it shall be done. There's power when we pray in agreement together. And everyone that's on the prayer team is someone that that I know personally, that I know they love the Lord. I know they love to pray with people. And whatever you share with them, it'll be between you and them. 